0: Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat Episode 56 for April the 12th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisneski and I'm here with my guest, Michael Argast. Welcome, Michael.
1: Thanks, Chet. Always a pleasure to join you.
0: And it's kind of a busy security week, surprisingly, even though the chat chats have been a little bit close together the last few weeks. I, I got a little off my pace a few weeks ago and I've been trying to get back spaced out to uh, a week in between appropriately. So we're back to Tuesdays, of course, because it's Patch Tuesday. We're going to talk about that at the end. Um, the, the bulletins were just released uh, a very short while ago here in Pacific Time Zone. And uh, we're going to cover the other news first, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, disclosure and patching. Microsoft obviously had a bunker buster patch Tuesday this week. So uh, Albert Gonzalez, uh, he, he's the guy that was involved in the TJX and Heartland Payment Systems hacking, um, credit card theft, and all this stuff years ago. Got convicted with, what, 20 years in prison or something? Yeah, it was
1: quite a, quite a lengthy sentence. And we knew all along that he was working with the uh, Secret Service and stuff like that. But um, now he's claiming that everything he did was for the Secret Service. It was all on behalf of the government.
0: Yeah, it was It was clear before he had been informing years ago for them um, as part of, I think, a previous conviction for some sort of uh, criminal electronic trespassing yep. and uh i hate to call it hacking because uh, i consider myself a weekend hacker and an evening hacker and i'm, well, I'm pretty much I, I consider myself a hacker and i don't consider myself uh a criminal because i don't break the law while doing it so we'll just go with uh, electronic trespassing and, and and graham can disagree with me when i get to the uk later today
1: oh he was doing a lot more than trespassing though they were stealing millions of credit card details and all that
0: kind of stuff sure yeah, it all starts with the trespassing when you're when you illegally enter a system. Yep. Um so anyhow so he yeah, he think he he thinks that he's going to get a conviction overturned. I mean, it seems a bit late for that. It would seem like you would start earlier in the process.
1: His claim is that he wasn't informed by his lawyer that working on behalf of the government was a legitimate defense the first time around and now that um, he's aware of it, he, that's the defense he wants to try. So um,
0: so for all you informers out there take a learn a lesson here. There's another apparently there's another defense when you commit a crime The government made me do it. The government made me do it uh, I, I wouldn't ever have been sitting in that parking lot sniffing that unencrypted Wi-Fi stealing all those credit cards if it wasn't for Maybe in fact we kept confusing him with Alberto Gonzalez Maybe Alberto <laughs> made him do it because in well, fact he was the Attorney General was he not?
1: I'm not sure if he, if in terms of the time frames in terms of the overlap but uh, Alberto could certainly say that the government made him do it, but
0: yeah, well, we'll see what happens with that. I, uh, you know, I, I would, I'd wish him luck. Except, I hope he rots in jail. So, um, we'll just see what happens. I guess. Uh, big data breach. Uh, I wrote about this yesterday. Three point five million people's PII, and not minor PII here. We're talking addresses, driver's licenses, social security numbers.
1: Sitting uh, uh, unprotected on a server,
0: facing the internet. On the interwebs, yes. Um, apparent, and, and if I read the statement from, uh, I think her name is Susan Combs. She's the comptroller of the state of Texas, and quite obviously embarrassed by this, and an elected official, of course. Uh, she mentioned in her statement, like, four or five different policy breaches, all of which were ignored along the way. Like, there's a policy that it must be encrypted uh, in transit to, you know, from the... Uh, uh, pension funds or whatever it was to the state controller office that was ignored there was another one about reviewing how long data is stored in a given place and that was ignored there was another one about purging PII from systems where it's not being used that one was ignored as well
1: right so the basic story from from my understanding is that this was a server that was around for quite a while got moved around a bunch of times you know ownership kind of got a little bit fuzzy it had all these records and I think this is this is an important part of the lesson it's not just you know the data you're collecting today but the data that you've held historically um, that can represent a breach or a a risk to you and so you know make sure that you have good um, kind of data destruction policies you clean things up on a regular basis and all that kind of stuff and well uh, i
0: think the lesson here isn't so much the to have a good policy it's to enforce it because if you look at the state of texas's policies at least the way they were outlined by the comptroller it sounded like a pretty sensible set of policies yeah now clearly there'll probably be some additional uh, work to be done as far as they'll probably have some additional rules and stuff now. But the reality is, I mean, the, the, that, that's a step on its own. Like the fact that most governments especially at least have a good set of policies now. Mm-hmm. We're just crap at actually obeying them. Yeah. So we're, we're taking little steps down this path to data security. And my you know personal rant on it was this kind of arrogance again about personal data when it's not on a laptop or a USB thumbstick or thumb drive that somehow now we don't need to protect it. It's it's inside the firewall. Don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, the servers have been a really big weak spot lately. I mean, with all these kind of targeted attacks, they're obviously a, a, a spot that the attackers are going after and they're typically much more poorly protected than a lot of our mobile devices these days. So well,
0: That's an interesting point. I was listening to Patrick Gray's Risky Business Podcast yesterday, and um, it was rumored that RSA doesn't have a um, seed to token mapping, as we, a lot of people were speculating that it was stolen from RSA during their breach, that in fact it's an algorithm that you apply to the serial number of a token. So it looks like perhaps that algorithm is what's been stolen, which is far more disastrous for RSA than simply a mapping database. So. Eek. Yeah. Um, intellectual property secrets, not just your employees' social security numbers or social insurance numbers, but maybe the crown jewels to your kingdom also um, might should deserve some extra protection, especially from the world's most recognized brand when it comes to cryptography moving along yes um, Adobe zero day yesterday uh, unfortunately almost an exact repeat of the last time you were on the chat chat there was a a flash embedded in an excel file vulnerability that we talked about a few weeks ago which turns out was what hit RSA that was the initial vector into their network was that zero day um, remember
1: a few years ago when um, everybody started putting um, filters on their gateways you know they they stopped allowing Xs through and zip files and all this kind of stuff and with the proliferation of these kind of zero-day PDF exploits and office exploits and all this kind of stuff, you wonder if we're not going to move back to a time like that where like, it's, such a, it's such a prevalent vector in terms of attack these days, and it's definitely coming down market in terms of the types of targets that are being gone after.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, last summer there was a, a, a tax virus uh, as in LaTeX, as in the uh, document formatting language on Linux and Unix, is quite frequently used. Although it's used in Windows as well. I mean, it, um, there was a proof of concept paper in Unix's uh, quarterly magazine from one of the conferences last summer where people wrote a virus in text. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I don't think it's as cut and dry as the old days. Right, a Windows PE file and a COM file is one thing, but. A doc is an executable. A PDF is an executable to some degree. Yep. There's a, all these con- formats are turning into these container formats, and they all can embed each other. So you can have PDF. You know, you can have uh, Flash inside of docs or PDFs or Excel or PowerPoint and all these different things. And it's not just Flash, but you know, right now it seems to be Flash. It's a preferred target uh, of the attackers and. It's a real big problem. So Adobe's all over it saying, uh, you know, we'll get an update out as soon as possible. There's really no mitigation aside from removing Flash. Um, or disabling it and flash blocking but that doesn't really work a lot of people go oh I disabled it well how did you do that how do you disable it from Word (laughs) right you can disable it in Internet Explorer you can disable it in Firefox you can certainly um, I don't know what you can do in Chrome I guess Chrome you could just put a flash blocker in because it's got uh, flash embedded in the Chrome
1: And so you go through these convoluted steps and how do you do it centrally for a large organization you don't
0: you're just vulnerable unless you're a vendor we have seen these samples Sophos has two different detections available from Sophos Labs one that's uh, been generically available for a while that proactively detects things that uh, do very similar things to this exploit and we also used a very specific one for the targeted attack uh, i'd like to thank mila parkour for for uh, her research on her blog that kind of outed this whole thing and brought it to adobe's attention and she provided us with a sample as well so uh, we appreciate that moving along to the french French, yeah. So they passed a new law last month that kind of went under the radar and suddenly started getting attention more recently, uh, requiring ISPs and so any kind of service provider to retain basically everything they know about you for a year, including your password, which was the part that kind of got me upset.
1: Well, yeah. So, I mean, I guess the question about the law is how is it worded exactly? You know, so they have to retain your password, but there's an assumption in there that they're actually storing your password in the first place, which they you know, may or may not necessarily. Well, how actually. would
0: you access a service without a password?
1: Well, you could be using something like OpenID or something like that. So there's different there's different sure. mechanisms.
0: Sure. So in which case, OpenID must retain your password for them.
1: Right. So, but regardless, um, there's been a lot of speculation that this requires them to retain clear text
0: passwords. And that's that's incorrect. That's incorrect. I was, in fact, um, I was had a very interesting conversation over the weekend with the director of cybercrime enforcement in France, who approached me about the article I wrote on it, and we had a conversation about what their intent was, kind of. I couldn't get the intent out of them. They won't actually spill the beans. But they were saying that we're only saying that you must preserve it in whatever way it's already been stored. Right. So if it's salted and hashed, you must keep it in that form, which puts the whole thing into question. The whole thing is just questionable from day one. Why require it to begin with? There's absolutely almost zero value in retaining um, this data. If it's in plain text, I mean, what good is knowing the hash do?
1: I think they're trying to reverse the trend of a lot of service providers. Um, and increasingly, we're seeing a lot of organizations saying, if we don't need it, we aren't going to store it for any length more than absolutely necessary. And we're not just talking about usernames and passwords here. We're talking about activity and other stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think the government is trying to turn that, that momentum around so that you know, when they want to track people, when they want to get more information about people, it's easier for them to do because the habit hasn't been ingrained in terms of, let's just discard data
0: when we don't need it. And It's uh, bad. Bad. it's more data laying around and i understand that they uh, you know i'm all for law enforcement being equipped to do their jobs and i think if they if they have good justification for this kind of thing they need to do they need to come out with it and explain a lot better to the public before they start taking away your privacy rights and exposing more and more of you. because the problem is they don't require that this data be protected they simply require you keep it and that's the problem right it's one thing to pass a law saying we need to keep your logs of every time you use gmail for the last year because that might be useful in criminal investigations if we have a court order to come and ask you for that data it's another thing to say but we don't really care how you store it like yeah. you know just go nuts guys do it the cheapest way possible just make sure you comply with the law and the cheapest way possible gets us in trouble way too frequently
1: well we especially know that organizations have a habit when it comes to following the laws following the letter of the law and uh, without necessarily thinking through all the ramifications of the
0: spirit of it. necessarily and the, but the law doesn't even have any spirit when it comes to protecting your privacy this the spirit of the law is simply to allow the government to spy on your online happenings presumably for legitimate reasons that they want to do that but i think um yeah there's a little lack of responsibility there as to the the downside of holding all that data and how it must be held and on the patch tuesday i guess it's a good thing i'm not in france um yes patch tuesday 64 vulnerabilities 17 patches um I think Graham clearly referred to it as Godzilla-sized. Uh, it's huge. I mean, I don't have a lot to say as it's only been out for an hour, and I specifically wasn't looking at things behind our NDA beforehand. So I don't know a lot of details other than most of the vulnerabilities seem to affect Windows. Uh, there's a couple IEs in there. There's a couple Microsoft offices in there. There's a, um, I, I believe there was a, a Visual Studio thrown in there for good measure, or some .NET Uh, Pretty much everything was touched a little bit, but most of it was Windows. Most of it affects Windows XP all the way through Windows 7. Um, There's only, I believe, one vulnerability or two vulnerabilities that don't impact Windows 7 that impact the other operating systems. Um, There was the fix for the MHTML vulnerability that was disclosed back in January. So that's been a long-awaited one that's been in the wild. So it's good to see that. Yep. Um, There was another one, ms 11 O eighteen, or better known as CVE 2011-1345 or better yet known as the one from CANSEC West yeah. uh, where they popped IE. Uh, Microsoft has alerted that that has been seen in the wild after CANSEC West and is considering that a critical alert. It's in fact the first bulletin in, the, in today's advisory. So, so patch so, your IE. Yeah, if you can only do one thing, get those IE patches out there. I mean, if you can, you know, if you can only do one thing... Figure out how you, you can use that one thing to do more things, but <laughs> um, you know th- these. There's a lot of critical ones, and uh, this, uh, you know, looking at the Microsoft chart at the MSRC blog, it's a sea of red. Um, it's it's very very. Um, high priority so without going into the detail of the 17 different fixes there are 17 different downloads and 64 volumes uh,
1: there's stuff of the wild patch patch down
0: yeah it's the same message as always but this time I actually do consider it slightly more urgent um, I guess I'm I cry wolf a little too often I'm always saying it's important this time it's really important uh, but we got a brief conversation about responsible disclosure so you know, how good is it for these companies to be buying vulnerabilities, exposing them publicly at things like Pondo and turning it into a media circus, which I, I quite enjoy when I you know, I get to attend CanSec, it's fun being part of it, but it really is a bit of a media circus thing. And, you know, Microsoft's saying this is in the wild, right? And it's because of, can- it's of CanSec, arguably.
1: Yeah, I guess... There's or is a- it
0: because of Tipping Point? I would say Tipping Point more than CanSec, but...
1: Yeah, and well, the question is, would the vulnerability have been discovered and acted on in the wild... Without Cansec, and I guess your argument is no, it wouldn't have been.
0: Well, I think it, or it would it have left I don't likely. know that that's the question. I think the question is whether responsibly disclosing it to the vendor would allow it to be fixed sure. in an expedient way and perhaps be a speed bump against it instantly starting to get used in the wild. There's a difference because, yeah, we, yeah all these things. I mean, look at Stuxnet phones were out there for six, eight, nine months, in one case, 13 years, and we didn't know about them, right? Like, and the bad guys did. So that's always going to happen. Um, but, we don't need additional bad guys to find out about it more quickly. When you know to give the guy, I, I don't know where I where I stand on all this. It's a bad debate to get too deep into because we're a vendor ourselves and have our own opinions about it. But it makes me uncomfortable when I see this particular situation because we talk about it hypothetically all the time, and in this case, it's not hypothetical. It really, you know, it, it, it's for real, right? And that's uh, that's quite concerning.
1: I think that's a wrap.
0: All right. Well, that concludes Sophus. Office- security chat 56. Thanks for joining us again. All as usual, our podcasts are all available at podcasts.sophos.com on iTunes or via RSS and uh, I think there's some other venues you'll find our podcast as well. And for the latest news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com and until next time, stay secure.